We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Acts 18, we're going to pick up in verse 24. So Paul had uh, left Athens from Acts 17. He had gone to Corinth in Acts 18, and then he had returned home to his hometown, Antioch, or at least where he was stationed when Jesus said, uh, hey, I want you to start going out to the nations, right? He was part of this leadership of a church in a city called Antioch, and they had prayed over him and sent him out to go with this mission of bringing the good news. And so we had heard about two different missionary trips already he's taken. In Acts 18, we saw that he, he comes home toward the end of what we read last week, back to Antioch for a little bit. That was the end of his second missionary journey. And we're about to hear it pick up where he goes out. Like he doesn't stick around long. He gets home, he gets a little bit of rest, and he goes out again for his third mission. So that happens, and then we're going to hear about uh, this man named Apollos also. Verse 24, now a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. If you remember, that's where Paul was not too long ago. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he knew only John's baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, remember those are two people who were Paul's companions in the city of Corinth, and Paul taught them the ways of Jesus. And so now this disciple-making movement is happening. They were taught the ways of Jesus by Paul. Now they meet this man, Apollos, right? So verse 26, uh, after Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and they explained the way of God to him more accurately. When he wanted to cross over to Achaia, that's Corinth is the capital city of Achaia. So that's what we're talking about there. The brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. After he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. Chapter 19, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. That's a lot of churches still today, right? Into what then were you baptized, he asked them. Into John's baptism, they replied. If you remember, we just heard about Apollo saying that he only knew of John's baptism as well. So there's something going on here we're going to have to clue into. So verse four, Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in other tongues and to prophecy. Now, there were about 12 men in all. It's an important number, by the way. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples, and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord." God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even face cloths 
or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, that means they like come in and out of towns and they, they do a work and leave, right? Also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them so that they ran out of that house naked and wounded. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. This is God's word. Father, we ask that as we hear this story today, that would not just be some distant story, but God, you would be speaking to us through your word. May your spirit be alive and active in this room and in this people. God, may we be transformed by you and your word and your spirit today so that we would become more and more like your perfect son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray to the glory of the Father. Amen. So a while back earlier this year, I was scrolling through the endless social media scroll. Every good story starts this way, right? And as I was scrolling through, something caught my attention. It was a friend of mine from high school who posted something about, I can't believe that my baptism was botched and that it's invalid now. I was like, what are you talking about, right? And so I started looking into this, and I found this was actually a newsworthy story. It was like hitting the nation, that there, a Catholic church right at the corner of the house that I lived in at the time, we had just moved, right there, there was a priest who worked there, among a few other churches in the valley, who had been apparently saying the wrong word when he baptized people within the Catholic Church. What he should have been saying is, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what he was saying was, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now I hear that and I go, yeah, that's a collective, like, man, that's familial words, right? Like the church, your family, your friends, everybody here who loves Jesus, we are saying we're immersing you into this identity of following Jesus, of being empowered by the spirit, of living to the glory of the father. That's a good thing, right? But apparently uh, the church had ruled that that one word change made all those baptisms null and void. Now here's, here's, the weird part about this. Here's where it gets really messy, right? Now, in the Catholic Church, if you are baptized, you can take communion, but you don't get to take communion if you're not baptized. And so all these people have been taking communion. I saw one person wrote, I can't believe I've been allowing my daughter to take communion all these years. I'm a terrible mother, right? Because she had been allowing her to do this. Uh, Not only that, you can't get married in the church unless you have been baptized in the church. And so all these weddings, all these marriages were in question of if they were valid marriages. People were asking like, wait, are are we really married now? Does this count, right? I don't know 
maybe some people were like, hey, I got an out now. I'm not sure. But there, there's this deep thing in question now. Now, listen, I thought there's no way this is the only dude who ever made that mistake, right? And it turns out there are others. There are other priests who have made this mistake. And there's one in particular, a guy, a Catholic priest in Mexico, who has been a priest for some years, and he was actually happened to be watching the footage of when he was baptized as a baby, as an infant. And he heard the words of his priest saying, we baptize you in the name of. And you know what that meant was not only should he have never taken communion, been catechized, but he also should not be a priest. So then he had to go get rebaptized, get reordained as a priest, and then rebaptize all the people he had baptized. It's a mess, right? Now, I'm not trying to throw shade at the Catholic Church. There's a lot of beautiful things that have happened through the Catholic Church over the years. There's also a lot of not so beautiful things. And that's true of our church too, right? It's just true of humans. So it's not, I'm not trying to just like dump on somebody right now. I bring that up because when we first read what we read in Acts 18 and 19 about like, hey, we only knew of John's baptism. Like, no, 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 you got to get baptized in Jesus' baptism. It almost sounds like on surface level, there's a similar thing happening. Oh, you did it wrong the first time. Let's redo it for you, right? But there's, a, there's two really important distinctions here that are happening, right? Number one, uh, it's not that John's baptism was incorrect. It's that it was incomplete. It was like a first step, right? And we're gonna, we're gonna talk through that a little bit of what that means. Like, wait a second, do I have to get baptized twice? That's not what I'm saying. But in this time, it was an incomplete but not incorrect baptism. The other part of that is it's not a question of how you were baptized or even who you were baptized by. The question is, what have you been baptized into? And really to get more clear for us in this room, we know the question really is, who have you been baptized into? Not by, that's why we, we love to practice, like when there's baptisms here with our kids, we let the parents do it. It doesn't have to be a, a pastor who does that job, right? You can baptize someone in, in your swimming pool for all I care. Uh, but we have to start asking this question though, what does that word baptism actually mean? What are we talking about when we say baptized? And this is a, a weird question because when we read our Bibles, we read some words that we understand in our language, and then we read some other words that we're going to, like, that's never said anywhere in our culture. That's never said anywhere in our daily conversation, right? Some of those, maybe just because, like, we don't have that extensive of a vocabulary, but some of them are because they're actually not our language. And baptism is one of those words. The word baptism is not a word that was translated from the Greek, it's a word that was transliterated. So you want to drop that at a party somewhere and sound really smart? There you go. That's for you. What that means is there's a word in the Greek that is in our English letters, B-A-P-T-I-Z-O, baptizo, okay? And instead of translating that word, what we got was let's just put that into English letters so people can pronounce it. That's where we get the word baptism from. But what does the word actually mean? That's our question today. In fact, if we just take it for face value, we might even start to get a theology that says baptism wasn't around for God's people until the New Testament. 
until John, the baptizer, Jesus's cousin, the crazy dude out in the wilderness wearing like fur all over him and eating bugs and honey, right? That dude starts calling people out into the Jordan River and starts dunking people. They're like, where did that come from? But if we remember that that word baptism shows up in the New Testament because the New Testament was mostly written in Greek and the Old Testament mostly written in different languages, Hebrew and Aramaic, if we remember that and we actually get the real meaning of that word, then we might be able to find it has roots all the way back in the Old Testament with God's people early on. So what does the word mean? Does anybody know? You're going to answer so I can take a drink of water. All right, good. I've catechized you guys well, or somebody has. Immersed. That's what that word baptism means. It literally just means uh, to be dipped into and immersed by. If you actually get a, uh, think of this picture, if you have like a big uh, thing of water, let's say you fill up your bathtub with water and you were to get this bottle were empty and you dip it in, what's going to happen? Water's going to cover all around it, but it's also going to fill it up all the way too, right? And that's what that immersion actually means is that not just do you go into it, but you are filled by it. Now, there are two words in the Old Testament that help us get to what this is saying, okay? Now, I looked this up so I could sound really smart, and now, again, I'm giving this to you so you can sound really smart, okay? But what you would want to do in the Old Testament is tevilah into a mivka. Got it? Okay, good. Here's what this means. A mivka was a collection of water. That's all that means. Uh, primarily, it would be a natural collection of water. And so they would actually dig out these areas and allow the rainwater to fill it. And they would have some kind of basin that would keep that filled. So it's a collection of water supplied from the creator. And when you would tevila into the mivka, that meant you would go and fully immerse yourself into it. These are the words that are used in books like Leviticus when we're told about ceremonial cleansing. So if you are unclean because you touched a dead body or you touched a, an animal or you, you know, you're female. Sorry, guys, that's, I, I didn't make these rules, right? <laughs> and, and it's a certain time of the month. Like if you're unclean because of bodily fluids, you would have to go and tavila into the mivka. That means you'd have to go immerse yourself fully into this water that God has supplied. And that was the ceremonial cleansing that God called his people to do, especially before they entered the temple or came anywhere near offering a sacrifice to him. Now, it's not just cleaning dirt off of your body. It's not just taking a bath. It's not taking a dip into your swimming pool. The mivka for the Jewish people, it had two kind of uh, pictures for them when they hear that word or when they see that water. It represented both the womb and the grave. Both of them leading to a birth, right? They, they believe it represented the womb being fully immersed inside the womb there before your birth to life, but also the grave. And that as you get fully immersed in that, that is before your new birth, your rebirth into the afterlife. That was the picture they had for the Mivka. And so when you go into that water, what you're doing is you're saying, I have become born again. It's not just a, a new Christian language. 
I, I have been rising out of these waters as a new life now, a new person. It's about identity, actually. And it really kind of gives us a new context when Jesus is having a conversation with this Pharisee, a religious teacher named Nicodemus, and he tells him, hey, listen, you have to be born again. And we hear Nicodemus' response is like, what are you talking about being born again? Can I climb back into my mother's womb and come back out? And we hear that in our language, in our day and age, and we go, what? This dude's an idiot, right? He's like one of their brightest. Like, what is he talking about? But actually, it gives us some context that what he might be talking about with Jesus is, listen, when you go into the mythical waters, and you come out as a Jewish follower, this would have happened for uh, Gentile people, any other nation who's not Jewish. When they come in to be part of the family, they would be circumcised if they're a male, and then they would tavila in the mivka. And when they came out, they were considered a Jewish person of God. And so what Nicodemus is asking is, wait a second, why would you have to do that again, right? And Jesus responds with, Listen, he says, I'm not talking about a baptism in water, but a baptism in spirit and in truth. That's, that's the first thing I want us to recognize is anytime we read this word baptism, what picture comes to mind automatically? Some of you might be sprinkling a little bit of water, right? Some of you, it's a full-on dunk. If you didn't get all the way under, let's do it again, right? Kind of like if you said the wrong word, let's do it again, right? But we picture water automatically. Now, there's a good reason for that, and there's a good reason we hold on to that. So I'm not going to dismiss that, okay? But if we actually got the translation of that word that it's an immersion into, being filled by, I think what we would start to understand what the Jewish people understood is they were actually being ushered into a new identity. And when Jesus says not to be baptized into water only, but into spirit and truth. He's saying you need to be immersed in the Holy Spirit, in my spirit. You need to be immersed in the truth of God's word so that you can go out and live in a whole brand new identity. Those are his words with Nicodemus. And that's the invitation here. And so when we get to this, we hear about uh, this guy, Apollos. And it says that he knows the way of the Lord. He understands it. And he's actually teaching it really well. Like he's doing a good job. And Priscilla and Aquila, they hear him teaching about the ways of the Lord. And they say that he, he gets it to a degree. But they pull him aside to explain to him more accurately because he only knew of John's baptism. There's three groups of people I think we get in the story we read, and I want to go over those right now. One has a lacking faith, one has a lying faith, and one has a liberating faith. Apollos and the 12 disciples that Paul meets right after that, they had a lacking faith. They believed in Yahweh. They believed in the Lord. They knew that his ways were the right ways. And what John had invited them into, his baptism, was an immersion into a repentant heart. And there's a reason that John comes doing that in the Jordan River. He's not doing a brand new ceremony because they knew about the Mivka, right? But he's saying, hey, at the Jordan River, do you remember this 
this picture here of when we finally crossed over in the days of Joshua into the land God promised to us, the salvation God promised to us. And he used a man named Joshua to do that. Do you know Jesus' name is actually the same name as Joshua? They would have said Yeshua. And it means Yahweh saves. God used a man named Yahweh saves to save them and bring them into the promised land long ago. And John's there in that moment saying, hey, come and get ready because the real Yeshua is about to come. The real Yahweh is about to save us. He is coming. And John knew he was just preparing the way for them. He's saying, come and immerse yourself in a repentant heart. Turn completely away from your old ways, from even the ways that you have come to think in the temple, Jewish religious leaders, that you are right with God by following all the rules. Come and turn away from that because a better Yahweh saves is almost here. That was John's baptism. It's not incorrect. It's just incomplete. It would be like if you went and took a bath in mud, like you were just bathing in mud, right? Like your kids out there just flinging mud all over themselves, throwing mud pies. Well, that's a different thing, right? Anyway, they're getting dirty. And you tell them, hey, get out of that mud. And they get out of the mud. What's the next step? You got to wash them, right? Yeah, you got to go. You've been immersed in filth. Now you got to go immerse yourself in something else. You don't just stand there and wait for the mud to dry on you and get all caked up and nasty. It's not wrong to say get out of the mud. It's just not the full process. It's lacking a step. And John's saying, hey, come. Come and be washed. But there's another one coming who's greater. And he'll complete the process. If you want to turn with me, I think in Matthew 3, I have some scripture of this moment we're talking about here. This is John, the baptizer, talking to other people who have come and asking questions. And he says this, he says, listen, I baptize you. I, what does that mean? I immerse you, right? With water for repentance. He's getting very specific here. We're using water just like God's people always have used for an immersion into repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will immerse you. Do yourself a favor every time you read that word and remind yourself what that is. He will baptize you. He will immerse you with what? The Holy Spirit and fire. Water's not even mentioned right there. And fire, yeah. That's a whole other sermon we can get into. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a lot of different thoughts on that, but here's my best take right now, and you guys should go look into it for yourselves, is that either you are going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit or you're going to be immersed in destruction. And Jesus comes with both. You choose, right? And so, again, you, you can look into that. We're going to move on because we don't have time for that today. Uh, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Catch that. Allow it for now. Step one. Don't stop there, because then it's incomplete. It's lacking. But for now, in that moment, Jesus says, this is what we're doing. 
Then John allowed him to be baptized. Now, we also read uh, in another conversation shortly after this in John chapter three, that, which we have that, I think, on the screen as well. Maybe, yeah, good. In John chapter three, uh, John is being questioned again because people are like, hey, there's this other dude named Jesus and he's out there. This is your cousin. Like he's, he's baptizing disciples too. Why don't, so Jesus did use water, right? Why don't you stop him? They should, they should be like, these are your disciples. They're leaving you to go follow him. And so John uh, has this to say, he who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. We were just at a wedding last night in Florence, Arizona of all places. It's like this desert, like, I don't know why you would have a wedding there until we got to the, like, the winery place, the vineyard. And it was beautiful. It was like an oasis in the middle of Florence. Uh, and so at the wedding, what happens? Like there's, there's usually like a best man. In this case, it was the groom's brother and close friend who was standing beside him and celebrating. And usually that, that dude's holding the rings too, right? For the ceremony. But could you imagine if like the bride starts walking up and then the best man pushes the groom out of the way? He's like, I'll take it from here. I got this. Everybody would be disgusted by that, right? And that's what John's saying. He goes, look, look, I'm just here to, to stand up and support. Uh-oh. Oh, buddy. It happens, man. It happens to the best of us. I'm just here to show you the one who has come to claim his bride. And we're told in scripture who the bride is, right? It's God's people, it's the church, it's followers of Jesus and that Jesus himself is the bridegroom. And so he says, this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This, this baptism of John is getting people ready for a greater baptism. One that we're told is going to happen by spirit. Jesus is coming with something better. So Priscilla and Aquila, they explain this to Apollos, right? And then what happens? Are we told right then and there that he jumps into a pool? Maybe he did, right? I don't, again, I don't want to take that away, but we're not told that. Water's not the point. He's saying, you need to be immersed into Jesus now. And Apollos believes. He's immersed into who Jesus is. And he goes preaching that, not just preaching John's baptism of repent, But listen, there is one who actually came and overcame sin for you. All your repenting and your striving, your trying, it's hard, ain't it? And you keep going back and back over and over to the same thing. Listen, there's a better way. Yes, repent, but believe then that Jesus has accomplished this on your behalf and that he can actually give you the power to do so. So we get the similar picture right after that. Paul meets 12 guys who believe in Jesus too. They believe the words of him. But he's like, hey, do you have the spirit? When you believed in Jesus, did you also believe that he said, my father is sending a helper to you to give you all the power to do these things? And they're like, bro, we never even heard there is a spirit. What are you talking about? Now listen, there's some pictures of both of these in the church today. There's a lot of people who are trying really, really hard to get their approval from God by following all the right rules. 
They're living by a baptism of repentance. I won't do that anymore, God, I swear. Not this time. And if that's, if that's the faith that you've been immersed into, I want to tell you it's incomplete. It's on the right track. You got out of the mud. It's still covering you. You're caked in it. And when it dries, it's really hard to get off. You need to be immersed into something better. And not just that Jesus died for you. That's an incomplete event if Jesus just went into the grave. These guys believed who Jesus said he was and that he came and died for them. But how did Jesus rise out of that tomb on the third day? And the power of the same spirit who gave him life in the womb, who brought him here as a man, the same spirit who empowered him to overcome sin and temptation in the wilderness, the same spirit who he did all these miracles of healing and feeding people by. That spirit breathed life into his dead body and Jesus walked out of the grave. And what Paul tells these 12 guys is he says, listen, you're a picture of the church now. That's why there's 12 of them, the 12 tribes of Israel. There are 12 disciples of Jesus. These 12 guys, just like the 12 had to wait after Jesus died and rose again, he says, wait for my father to send you the spirit. These 12 guys were in this period of waiting. I think Luke is telling this story in a certain way so that it's calling back to what had happened at Pentecost when the spirit came. In the same way, listen, you need to see that the Jesus who died for you, he rose again victoriously by the power of the spirit. And that spirit he promised would come upon you who follow Jesus too. And there are some of us too, who maybe we're not living in the baptism of repentance and we're going, yes, Jesus did it all for me, but we are living with no power in our lives because we are not immersed in who the Holy Spirit is, who has been given to us and promised to us by the Father. Do you know that you have the power of the living God as you go into your workplace, your neighborhood, as you enter into family reunions and maybe people you don't want to see, as you are parenting your kids, as you're listening to your parents, as you go into your schools, wherever you find yourself, if you are immersed in the Holy Spirit, you have the power of the living God who breathed life into the first man, who breathed life into Jesus so that he could walk out of that tomb and is still breathing life into you. That's the immersion we're invited into. That's the baptism. I don't care if you got dunked or sprinkled. I don't care if you got into the bathtub or a shower or a pool. It doesn't matter to me. We use a horse trough out here. That doesn't matter. What we want is that we would be a people who are immersed in, that we are fully enveloped by and being filled up by the spirit of God because of what Jesus has done for us. Now listen, there's, a, there's another group of people there's these guys who see, oh, this Paul dude, he's got some power on him. Why? Because he's filled with the spirit, right? He's immersed in the spirit. Paul's not a superhero. He's not going out there with superpowers. Like there's some preachers who will take their cloth as they're preaching and as they're dripping sweat like I am right now and they wipe it off and they throw it out in the crowd and people are like, ah, oh, because maybe like they touched Paul's face cloth and they were healed. Maybe if we touch this, this preacher's, right? No, no. That's not it. He had power because of the spirit at work in him. And so some people see this and they go, man, we want that power too, right? Now listen, there are people in the church who live this way too. Oh, we see that there is a way to gain power over other people. 
when you preach a certain thing. And they come in and they use the name of Jesus to have power and authority over others. And that's what these dudes were doing. They're going in and they're going, in the name of the Jesus Paul preaches. They can't even say in the name of Jesus because they don't know him. That guy that Paul follows in his name. And listen, this is like the craziest scene, you guys. If you ever think the Bible is boring, there's this dude filled with an evil spirit. Seven guys come and they're like, in the name of that Jesus that Paul talks about, get out and listen. This dude turns and looks him dead in the eye and he goes, oh yeah, I know who Jesus is. I've even heard of Paul, but who in the world are you? And then leaps on all seven of them, beats them down, strips them naked and sends them crying to their mamas. That's the Bible, guys. Naked and running scared because they were lying about their faith. They were imposters with their faith. Oh, this Jesus I've heard Paul talk about, I saw that get him somewhere. Maybe it'll get me somewhere. You know why they were itinerant exorcists? They would travel from town to town and collect money from people to cast out spirits. It wasn't about a heart of loving and serving and caring for. It was about having power over. And Jesus says, no, that's not what my power's for. So you had a lacking faith and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. They just needed to know the full good news, right? But you also had a lying faith and that needs to be done away with. That needs to be beaten down and stripped and exposed for what it is and sent packing. But listen, there's also a liberating faith. And our story today ends with that. It ends with people who hear about what happens to those seven guys and they hear about the power of Jesus and his spirit's presence on ordinary men and women doing amazing things. And they go, that's what we need to give our lives to. I want to be immersed into that. And the things that they held onto before for power, for hope, for, for a way to combat the evil spirits, those were their magic books. They come and they throw them all together and they burn them. Now, this is what it says. It says that they calculated the value in verse 19, found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. Most people have tried to calculate that in today's wages, in today's currency, and most theologians agree it's several millions of dollars in today's value. And they said, I don't care. This is worthless. This is worthless. I will give all of that away so that I could be immersed in this identity that Jesus offers. I want to finish what we saw at Jesus' baptism with John because he gets two baptisms in a sense happening at that moment. He gets dunked into water to immerse himself into the identity of humanity. Humans needed to repent. And Jesus had nothing to repent of, but he fully immersed himself into being a man, into being a human. But if we finish what happens after that, back in Matthew 3, as he comes up out of the water, when Jesus was baptized, verse 16, he went up immediately from the water And listen to this, the heavens suddenly opened for him and he saw the spirit of God. Here's his baptism in the spirit. Even though he's one with God, you guys, he didn't need this, but he's showing us a better way. The spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Those are the words spoken over Jesus, the perfect son of God the one who carries the full image of the Father. 
and who never sinned. But do you guys know the good news? Is these are the words that the Father wants to speak over you and I. I'm not making that up. Paul wrote this in uh, Romans. Did I have Romans or 2 Corinthians first? 2 Corinthians, let's go there. Thanks, Patrick. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you're covered in Christ, you're immersed, you're baptized. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. That you have been reborn. You are no longer that old person. You are no longer in your sin. You are in, immersed in, baptized in the righteousness of Jesus. And then he goes on to write this in Romans 6. He says, are you unaware that all of us who were immersed into Christ Jesus were immersed into his death? Our sin was buried with him. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. If you have been not just dipped in, not just sprinkled by, but fully enveloped and filled with Jesus. And listen, there's not a formula to it. There's not certain steps you gotta do to find that out. What it requires is placing your trust in him like Apollos did, like those 12 guys did when they heard the good news. Simply saying, that's what I need. Come and fill me, Jesus. And if that's true of you, then you are a new creation now. And when the Father looks at you because you are fully enveloped by and filled by Jesus, he, say, he sees Jesus, his perfect son. And he says, this is my son. This is my daughter who I love and I'm very pleased with. Now, in this room even, there could be people who maybe have a lacking faith and you're still trying trying to prove through your works that you're worthy of God's love. And I just want to invite you to say, hey, you're on the right track. Come a little further in the waters. Come a little further into Jesus and trust that he's accomplished it for you. And there's some of you need to hear that not only has he accomplished that for you, but he is giving you his spirit so that you can walk in power and love and truth and boldness and grace with peace when no other people have peace in this world, with hope, with joy when other people seem to not have that. And you could walk in that and offer it to the world around you. Some of us need to hear that every single day and be reminded of it. Amen? We're going to go to the table in a moment and we're going to, amen. We're going to remember, yes. We're going to remember how we got that, that Jesus was immersed into the death of our sin and rebellion so that we could be immersed in the newness of his life. That's why we go to the table every week. And so there's a table on each side. If you need gluten-free, go to that table over there. Take the bread. Remember Jesus' body broken for you. A human body, he immersed himself into our identity. Dip it into the blood poured out for you and remember that we are now immersed into his righteousness. Would you say this with me if you're gonna go to the table in a moment? We say that Christ has died Christ is risen. Christ will come again.